0: You guys may be seated. Worship team, thank you. For those who don't know, my name's James. Hello. Hi, James. If you are watching online, it's your first time. My name is James, same as in-house. In I've uh, been here for a little while. I've been here at First Church 16 years, 12, 13 of those years in this position. So those who have been here for that amount of time, you know that I am not normally a name-it-claim-it type of preacher, right? If you ever heard me say like, if you say it, it's going to happen. Anybody? No. So that's, I'm not normally a name-it-claim-it type of pastor. But on Mother's Day, I thought it fair to say that sometimes moms can speak the future into the present. Ron agrees with me. Sometimes moms can speak the future into the present. For example, we have a, a son who's now 18. He's a month away from graduating. He used to be terrified to speak in public. Didn't want to even stand in public. And his mom, my wife, would say, you know, with enough hard work, eventually you will get to where you can stand in front of a class and give a presentation. And you know what? At seven or eight, he would never have believed her. But you know what? At 18, he can do it. Mom spoke that. The future into the present, right? A lot of hard work. Uh, Since it's Mother's Day, perhaps some moms don't have the the greatest of uh, family dynamics with their kids. Maybe they haven't had to have a they haven't had a good Mother's Day meal for a long time, and you know, you know the mom that calls all the kids and like, this is the year that we're going to have a Mother's Day lunch and it's not going to argue. Got it? Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Winters knows what I'm talking about. Uh, not that you've ever had to do that with your kids. I just need to clarify that. Okay? But, you know, that's the year then that the kids come to the table and they have a good, they have, a, are you tracking with me? Sometimes moms speak the future into the present. The, the mom who's putting the little girl on the bus for kindergarten for the first time, little girl's scared. Mom bends down and says, it's okay. It's okay, Heidi. You're going to, you're going to love school. You're going to love your teacher. You're going to make all sorts of friends, right? After day one, little Heidi hops off the bus, a grin is ear to ear. She's like, Mom, you were right. Yeah? Hey, we got a mom holding the kid up there. It's like the mom says to little Timmy, little Timmy, someday you'll swim in the Irish Sea and you won't be scared. It'll be perfect. Moms have a way of speaking the future into the present. Now, maybe you don't agree with that. What about this? Mercy has a way of calling the future into the present. Mercy has a way of calling the future into the present. We're in a short four-week sermon series that we're titling Mercy, More Than Thoughts and Prayers. Last week, I started expanding our understanding, our definition of mercy, beyond just God not giving us what we deserve, to us being able to partner with God to help alleviate someone of their need. That was a definition from Tara Beth Leach, partnering with God to deliver someone of their need. And I said last week that mercy gains traction through action. So when we start Doing mercy, that's when it just starts to snowball and you get more and more and more of it. Today, I want to say that much like moms, mercy has a way of calling the future into the present. Let's pray and we'll unpack that. Jesus, thank you for this group of people. Thank you for their willingness to come on a day like today to, to worship, to listen, to grow. Uh, I thank you for all the ways in scripture that you are described as, as with mother tendencies, whether it's a hen, a bear, an eagle. um, We we pray, Lord, that we would see you through, uh, through eyes of compassion and, Lord, yes, through eyes of mercy. I pray that you'd open our eyes to see what you want us to see today in this text. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Grab a Bible or your app, however you get to God's word, and turn to Matthew chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible or an app, the little red book in the seat under you should get you there. If you don't know where Matthew is, start in the middle and go towards the back. Uh, Little words on the top will also get you there. Mercy calling the future into the present. About 10 days ago, Tim and I were sitting there planning this service. And this is a text that I had planned to preach on this day. I put it on this day back in December, not knowing that this was Mother's Day. All right, so when Tim and I were planning 10 days ago, I looked at him. We looked at the text. I looked at him and said, Tim, this is absolutely the worst Mother's Day text ever. So please go in with that expectation. Okay? Uh, there's a guy by the name of F.E. Bear who is in, in his commentary. He says this text specifically is brutal, offensive, the worst kind of chauvinism, incredible, insolent, atrocious. Atrocious! Yes, thank you. Somebody can, y'all go ahead and mock me. It's fine. We're going to dive in. Matthew chapter 15, verse 21. Let's see if this really plays out. You can either follow on the screen or in your Bible. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Another uh, more literal word-for-word translation. The English Standard Version reads that same verse like this. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Withdrew. In the context of the story, it's been a busy several days, weeks, and months for Jesus. All right, He got rejected at his hometown in Bethany. His cousin John lost his, lost, got his head chopped off. Jesus tried to get away so that he could grieve a little bit with his disciples. And in fact, Matthew chapter 14, verse 13 tells us this. Uh, Now, when Jesus heard this about John, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And if you know the story, Jesus didn't get any time away. He had had a picnic, 5,000 plus people that he fed. Okay, so he's been busy running 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 going 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 we walked on water after that He's gone toe-to-toe with the religious leaders on inner purity This guy hasn't had a break in a long time and he's been dealing with some heavy things So he tries to withdraw with his disciples moms you ever feel this? <laughs> Just need a little bit of time away, right you wake up the kids are there You go to the bathroom Kids are there. You try to hide in the car that's parked in the garage under the blanket in the backseat, the kids find you. <laughs> Jesus just wanted to get away. Now, if you know the story about Jesus, you know that oftentimes he tried to withdraw. That was, like, that was one of his main practices. Mark chapter 1 verse 35 says, Before daybreak the next morning Jesus got up and, and he went out or he withdrew to an isolated place. Matthew, or Luke chapter 5. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Mark chapter 6, verse 31. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves for a while to a quiet place and rest. This was withdrawing. We get to our text today in Matthew chapter 15, and Jesus does something different than all these other times when he withdrew. Because these other times he withdrew close to home. Not this time. This time he thinks to himself, where can I go where no one will know me? Well, to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he needs to get away because uh, he's been hounded by the, uh, as, as William Barclay says, the malignant hostility of the scribes and Pharisees. He's been hounded by the popularity of the people and Jesus just needs to go somewhere where he can get away. So he thinks to himself, where would no good Jew go? <laughs> Tyre and Sidon. You do a Google search, you search that Google machine and you type in Tyre and Sidon in the Old Testament, you're going to see that uh, the Jewish people and the people who lived in those regions, they did not get along. Okay, they, they did not. And Jesus was not going there for a mission trip like Jonah went to Nineveh. Jesus was going there for some rest, some restoration, some renewal, some respite, some recovery in a place where no other person would know who he is. I mean, this region in particular, Jesus even backhandedly insulted it. Uh, He was talking to the people around him uh, one day about the towns that weren't believing him. And he says to them, what sorrow awaits you, Chorazan and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you had been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago. I tell you, Tyre and Sidon would be better off on Judgment Day than you. This is a backhanded insult that Jesus gives to this region. So he looks at his 12 motley crew, says, we've been going for a while. We've been pushing hard. We need to go somewhere where nobody else is going to go. And we get to verse 21. Then Jesus left the region of Galilee, and he went. He withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And what happened? Verse 22. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, have mercy, On me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. The message translation reads like this. I believe I have it up there. They had hardly arrived when a Canaanite woman came down from the hills and pleaded, Mercy, master, son of David, my daughter is cruelly afflicted by an evil spirit. And I don't know if at that point Jesus' shoulders just slumped and he's like, oh. Or if he yelled, right? Because he's trying to get away and he's just reached the region and a Canaanite woman comes down the hills yelling at him. Let me say this again. A Canaanite woman came down the hills yelling at him. I'm going to ask you four questions. The answer that you're going to give me on each of those four questions is the Canaanites. (laughs) Got it? So uh, uh, if I ask you what's cheaper, a gallon of milk or or a gallon of water, you're going to say a gallon of water is cheaper, but yes, the Canaanites. Good. You got it. Okay. Four questions. The answer is always going to be, yeah. listen to this, who were the sworn enemies of the Jews? Yeah. Who did God evict in the promised land so that the Israelites could move in yeah. who in every list in the Bible, when God or the prophets is talking about the bad guys is in that list. Now I know you didn't read this, but according to R. T. Francis' commentary on Matthew, who were part of the traditional biblical vocabulary for the most persistent and insidious of Israel's enemies? Yes. You get in the picture? A Canaanite woman comes down the hills. The people who would have originally been listening to this story when Matthew wrote it and told it would have booed. They would have closed their ears, they would have gasped. And then you start thinking, when did she start yelling? How far away was she? Was she 400 yards? Was she 200 yards? Was she 100 yards away before she started yelling? And did she ever stop yelling? And how in the world did a Canaanite woman in the region of Tyre Sidon know to call Jesus by his Jewish, Messianic, prophetic, Davidic title, son of David? And did it catch Jesus off guard at all? Right, You know that you see somebody where it's slightly out of context. She comes down the hill yelling, Son of David, have mercy on me, oh Lord. It's like when I saw Mrs. Boyer, my sixth grade teacher, for the first time in Walmart. She doesn't belong in Walmart. She belongs in a classroom. Huh? Is that Mrs. Boyer? She... Jesus probably looking around like, who, who knows that title for me? Who's calling me Son of David? I don't know that for sure. Mother's Day, right? Okay? We've got a mom in the story. We've got a daughter who was demon-possessed. Listen to how a few other translations say that. A demon that torments her severely. A severely she is severely oppressed by a demon. The uh, message translation says she's cruelly afflicted by an evil spirit. Now, my favorite is the King James Version says she is grievously vexed with a devil." "Moms, if your daughter was grievously vexed with the devil, would you do anything you could to help her?" Like one mom said, "Come on, moms, would you do anything like even start yelling at Jesus from 800 yards away and come at it from, from nowhere, right?" Listen, Jesus saw human need everywhere that he went everywhere. And you know what? This is going to blow our minds. He didn't cure everybody when he was here. He didn't raise every person that died while he was doing his ministry. He didn't, he didn't uh, cast every demon out that possessed somebody in Galilee from AD 30 to AD 33. So this Canaanite woman coming down from the hills in a town where Jesus is, shouldn't know anybody, they're trying to get a little r and R, a a little, little rest and restoration. This woman comes down yelling at him, his, his response shouldn't surprise us. Verse 22, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Worst Mother's Day text ever. A mom has a need. She cries out to Jesus. She has his soul attention, and he doesn't say a thing to her. You ever walked in a third world country? A few of you. I remember the very first time I set foot in a third world country. We were little then. We walked across a bridge from Texas into Mexico. Border security was different back then. Okay, by the time we hit that halfway point in the bridge, there were beggars lined up. And I vividly, I was little, but I can still see their eyes looking up at me, asking for help. And I grew up in a church. I grew up always hearing my parents say, we should help people who need it. And you know what they did? They didn't help them. No pocket change, no nothing. I was appalled, right? I was confused. And this, of course, led to a great conversation later with them about when and how and and all that was best. And it made a lot more sense to me when they could explain it. But, I mean, how many of you drove right by the person waving a cardboard sign on your way to church today? Worst Mother's Day text ever. A mom comes to Jesus, says her daughter has a need. Jesus ignores her. He keeps walking, and we know that she keeps yelling because the disciples, she annoyed the willy-nilly out of the disciples. Matthew 15, verse 23. Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all of her begging. Us. Picture that. You got Jesus, you got 12 men. 12 men, some of them big, burly fishermen with massive hands that are very, very strong. And one woman, who's being a little bit of a nuisance, they think, take two of those guys, pick her up, Move her off to the side, leave those two to let the other 10 and Jesus go away, right? It's the easiest way to solve it. But the disciples don't do that. They, They go to Jesus and they say, send her off. You know what they're asking him to do? Give her what she wants so she stops bugging us. That's what they're asking for. Give her what she wants so that she stops bugging us. And the text continues, verse 24. Then Jesus said to the woman, hold on right there. I preach from the New Living Translation because it's modern-day English. I love this translation. And it is rare that I will ever say that the translators got it wrong. I think the translators got it wrong. Because in the original text, it does not say Jesus turned and talked to the woman. It just simply says he answered. Now, who was the last one talking to him? The disciples. The disciples. So I'm going to go off the assumption that Jesus turns to the disciples to the disciples and he says this Matthew 15 verse 24 Jesus there we go I got my hands full right here dealing with the lost sheep of Israel I've got my hands full dealing with the lost sheep of Israel worst Mother's Day text ever mom comes crying for help Jesus ignores her the disciples are even on her side Jesus turns to them and says not my problem That's not why I'm here. I came for the lost sheep of Israel. I came for my chosen people, the Israelites. Is that exclusive? Don't answer that because we're going to get there. If you've never heard this text preached, I hope you're squirming in your seats just a little bit because it sounds like Jesus is being pretty exclusive. And even if you have heard this 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 text preached, I hope you're squirming because in our day and age, if you say something that exclusive, it has a chance to get you fired, right? It does. And and in the faith that we profess, this this Protestant Christianity, we like to forget that when Jesus talks about His chosen people, He's not talking about us. He's—I just said that out loud. He's talking about the Israelites. I know, mind blowing, right? But when he says, I've come for God's chosen people, he wasn't talking about us. Was Jesus just tired when he said this? Was he just a little bit miffed that his retreat got interrupted? Was he exasperated that he couldn't go anywhere and not have a little bit of peace by himself? Was this just a slip of the tongue for Jesus? No, he said something like this before. When he was sending out his 12 disciples on their very first mission trip, Jesus very specifically told them where to go and not to go. Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. Do not go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, to God's lost sheep. Go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. Go to the lost sheep of Israel. Same term in our text as in that Matthew chapter 10 text. When when the disciples come to Jesus tugging on his shirt sleeve saying, send her away so that she stops bugging us. Jesus turns to them and says, I came here for the lost sheep of Israel. Now, I've been uncomfortable all the times I've read this, but I I read something this last week that really helped me understand this text better. Jesus is not being exclusive. He's not being racist, as some people will claim that he's being. He's reminding his disciples of the mission that God sent him on. He's reminding his disciples of the purpose that he and they are called to fulfill. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this. He says, not a, uh, here we go. I don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. So what was that purpose Jesus came to accomplish? We've got to rewind all the way back to the beginning of the Bible to catch that. I the name of Abraham, heard of him? He was Abram when God first talked to him. He said to Abram, hey, pick up your wife, your family. It's, it's not Mother's Day, so we're going to move. And, and I want you to go to the land that I'm going to show you. And he says, when you get there, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous. And you will be a blessing to others. This is the original, the original promise. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. All the families of the earth will be blessed Through you. Abram later became the Israelites. That's the first, the father of the Israelite nation. Okay, so God's plan from the very beginning, from the very beginning, was to be to, to show the world who he was using the Israelite people through his chosen people. God wasn't being exclusive, Jesus wasn't being exclusive, Jesus was sticking to the plan. Modern-day theologian N.T. Wright says it like this. He says, what Jesus has not come to do, as he says in Matthew 5, is not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Not to do away with the category of Israel, of God's chosen people, but to fulfill the purpose for which this people existed in the first place. If God's new life was to come to the world, it would come through Israel. So in verse 24, the disciples come tugging on Jesus' shirt, saying, tell her to go away. Jesus turns to Sam and says, boys, I need to do my job. I need to do what God has called me to do. Could be that the woman was within earshot at that point. We don't know how close she is yet. We don't know her physical proximity to Jesus. And if she was within earshot, any normal human being would have walked away, right? She would have have turned around feeling dejected, feeling excluded, feeling cut off. This was no normal human being. This was a mom. It was a mom whose daughter had a need. Last week, we talked about mercy being partnering with God to help alleviate somebody of their need. If that's still the definition we're working off, then this lady comes saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. She hadn't got what she came to get yet. She hadn't got what she came to get yet. So verse 25 says this, but she came and worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. This actually is the verse that makes most scholars believe that Jesus turned and talked to the disciples when he said that lost sheep thing, because now he turns and talks to the woman. She says she bows low. That's what worship means right there. She bows low as a sign of respect, maybe. As a sign of worship, maybe. As a sign of utter need, maybe. Put all those together and you've got her saying, Lord, help me. And Jesus responds, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Repeat after me. Worst Mother's Day text ever. (laughs) Seriously, come on. Worst Mother's Day text ever. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Being called a dog in any culture that I know is an insult. And this was a common insult that the Jewish people would call the Gentiles. And actually a common insult that they would throw at the Canaanites. Um... This shook me a bit because did Jesus just insult somebody? Did he just belittle somebody? That's not the Jesus I know. So could we just try and explain it that he was tired? He was needing a break. He was trying to get away from it all. He had lost his composure momentarily and did something very un-Jesus like. Moms, have you ever been so tired that what you thought in here actually came out here to your kids? (laughs) Every day. Every day. Is that what happened? Jesus was tired from ministry. You may have seen a slide at the beginning of the service. I'm getting a three month sabbatical and three Sundays from now. I'm tired. Like I'm I'm weary. I recognize there's a cynicism deep within me. Most of you don't ever see it, but that's because I have to be very purposeful in how I respond. So I get to this and I'm like, Jesus, I understand sometimes one just slips, but is that what happened here? Hard to know for sure. And I never want to read into a text more than is theologically accurate, more than is theologically true. But I read a few different people today that have a slightly different take on this. Remember, I said at the beginning that moms can sometimes call the future into the present. And more importantly, I said mercy can sometimes call the future into the present. What several theologians think is that uh, the taking place between Jesus and this Canaanite woman was a little bit of tongue-in-cheek, playful exchange between the two of them. When Jesus makes the dog comment, he uses the word in Greek, "kuneria." Okay, Cunaria. This is not the word for a mangy mutt that wanders through the alleys beating up cats. This is the name for a house dog, for a little dog, for a pet dog. Okay, Todd and Diane, if you're watching, it's Anika. And it's a peaches, Aaron and Hannah, Sam and JJ. If you're watching, it's a dozer and daisy. Now, both commentaries that I really dug into were very specific with this word choice. They said, yes, it's probably still offensive to be called a dog, but the commentators think that perhaps the woman caught a twinkle in Jesus's eye when he said this. Perhaps she caught an invitation to enter into this verbal jousting match with him. Was Jesus playing a little bit of devil's advocate? Can Jesus even do that? (laughs) Verse 26, 27. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. And she replied, that's true, Lord. But even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. She doesn't miss a beat. Aha, Jesus, she says. You call me a little dog, a pet dog, a house dog? Don't even these get scraps from the table? She says, You're right, Jesus. You have have a job. The Israelites are God's chosen people. They are elect. Your job is to fulfill the prophecy for them, but that job is so that the rest of the world will know who your father is. Give this little house dog some leftovers. Show some mercy. Essentially, what she's doing is she's crying out for the future to come to the present. It, It doesn't look like it, but that's what she's doing. She's calling out for the future that Jesus actually promised another Gentile that would happen. Matthew chapter 8, Jesus heals the centurion's slave centurion came uh you know it was a great you can read it matthew chapter 8 verses 10 and 11 jesus was amazed with uh, with the guy's response his show of faith and he turns to the crowds in matthew 8 he says i tell you the truth i haven't seen faith like this in all of israel and i tell you this many gentiles will come from all over the world from east and west and sit down with abraham isaac and jacob at the feast in the kingdom of heaven Jesus is predicting this future seven chapters back and this lady, we don't know if she heard that, but she's calling that future into place now. She's calling to the future where Jesus promises an an inclusivity of the Gentiles to the future where every tribe, every tongue, every nation will one day bow before Jesus. She's calling Jesus to the future that he's going to send his his disciples out in Matthew 28 when he says, go into all the nations. She's saying, "I, I want that now. She's crying for mercy now. She wants Jesus to partner with the Father to deliver her daughter from her need. She says, I want you to speak the future into the presence now, Jesus. This was the cry. And what Jesus says next shows me that he was not being mean He wasn't being racist. He wasn't being an exclusive elitist Jewish rabbi. He turns to the woman who had just successfully entered into a verbal jousting match. Many would say she beat him at this verbal jousting match. He turns to the woman, catch this, calls her the same name he calls his mom. Dear woman, said Jesus to her. dear woman John chapter 2 when Jesus his mom asked him to turn water into wine he calls her dear woman when he's hanging on the cross he looks down and says dear woman we go from Jesus saying dog to saying dear woman that's a drastic turn dear woman said Jesus to her your your faith is great your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Search the gospels, you will never find Jesus, compliment a Gentile that highly again. Your faith is great." He was impressed with the, the Centurion's faith. He says, "Your faith is great. You know what he said of his disciples' faith? Like four different times. You yeah, have so. Dear woman, Jesus said, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. So a healed daughter, no longer grievously vexed with a devil, a mom who cried out for mercy and in doing so ended up calling forth the future to the present, a woman who was called the same term of endearment that Jesus called his mom. Perhaps not the worst Mother's Day text ever. In fact, maybe one of the best ones. What do we do with a text like this? Aside from just the warm fuzzies and the goosebumps when we when we hear it. What do we do with a text like this? Are there ways that we can show mercy in our everyday lives that will help call forth God's promises into the present? Are there people that the church currently pushes outside, that calls them outsiders and outcasts, that Jesus wants us to say, no, they need to come in? Are there things that are binding that God has promised one day would be loosed, and he's giving us the opportunity to untie those knots today? Are there people who need to be seen, heard, touched, loved, invited to the table? Jesus says all from east to west. Is there a way that we can help him? that we can partner with God to do that? What part of mercy's future can we partner with God to bring into our present? I don't know the answer to that. But I trust that Jesus does. And I trust that if we ask him, he'll let us know. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but at some point, you'll be walking along, you're gonna, your eyes are gonna get really big and you'll be like, this is that chance for mercy. So here's what I want us to do. I'm going to invite Tim up. I know you guys are itching to go to your Mother's Day brunches, but I'm going to invite him up. He's going to play a little bit. I want to give us just a few minutes to to pray, to ask Jesus, what would you have us do with this text today? Are there people in my life right now who you want want me to partner with you in order to call your future for them into the present? So we'll spend a little bit of time uh, praying while Tim strums. And then after, he'll pray and we'll sing one more song. Sound good? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for uh, a text like this that on surface level reading is just frustrating and perhaps it makes us think this is the worst text ever. And yet as we dig a little bit deeper, we realize your heart for this woman. We realize your heart for humanity and your desire to show mercy. I ask, Lord, in these coming moments as we quietly sit and pray that if there's one or two people or if there's 30, 40, 50, 80, 90 people that you want to just impart a very tangible, practical way that we can show mercy today or tomorrow or the next day, I ask that you would let that settle on us. And if it's not today, Lord, would you keep our eyes and our ears open to the places that you want us to see, where we can partner with you to do more than thoughts and prayers but to do mercy in a way that calls forth the future into the present. Lord, hear our prayers.